Uh, early in the 1900s, a man named Samuel Pierpont Langley uh, set out to be the first man to pilot an airplane. It was his goal. He was a senior officer at the Smithsonian Institute. He had also been a mathematics professor at Harvard. And so this was the guy that the government chose to support to, to figure out how to get man up in the air to fly. He received a $50,000 federal grant from the War Department. He pulled together um, what was considered at the time to be a dream team of uh, of just intelligent people to figure out how to, to fly. Wanted to figure out how, how to fly. And um, his team used the finest materials. The media, the, the newspapers would, would, would travel around with them because the country was, was captivated by this idea that man could fly. Uh, about a, a few hundred miles away in Dayton, Ohio, there was another team uh, of people working on what they called their fly machine. You've probably heard of them. They were brothers, Orville and Wilbur Wright, and they had a team as well. Their team was not as highly touted as Langley's team. No one on the team, including Orville or Wilbur, um, had a college education. They received no funding of any kind. The newspapers weren't following them around. Nobody knew what they were doing, but they came together in a bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, and on December 17th, 1903, a small group of people witnessed a man take flight for the first time in history. Now, Wil Wilbur and Orville Wright's team was so unknown that the newspapers didn't find out about their flight until three days later, uh, and that's when they started started covering it. And if you're a nerd like me, you can read uh, of these historical accounts and the differences between Langley's team and, and the Wright brothers' team. But the question that always comes up when people are studying this story is, what is it that allowed the Wright brothers to be able to accomplish something that Langley's team was not able to accomplish? They didn't have the funding, they didn't have the education, they didn't have the following. Why was was the Wright brothers team able, able to do this? And, and one obvious answer is passion. One obvious answer was passion because the Wright brothers were like maniacal, passionate about figuring out how, how to fly. And we know that Langley wasn't near as passionate because when he found out that the Wright brothers accomplished it, he quit that it was more important to him to be first than to actually fly. And so we know that it wasn't so much a passion for him as it was for the Wright brothers and their friends. But it's not just passion. That, that as you study this story and you look into it, that what allowed the Wright brothers and their team to succeed when Langley and his team couldn't was a mixture of, of passion, vision, and teamwork. Passion, vision, and, uh, and teamwork. And like I said, you, you can read more about that. But, but, but what it all kind of came down to for people who have studied this story is that for Langley and his team, it was a job. For Langley and his team, it was a job. For the Wright brothers, it was a dream. It was a dream. Now, we're in the second week of a series called Roots that is about the church. Specifically, it is about this church well, we are taking three weeks to talk about why it's important to be planted in God's house. 
Why it's important to be planted in God's house. 2 Kings 19.30 says, and you, everybody say me, will put down roots, everybody say roots, in your own soil and will grow up and flourish. And when you put down roots in your own soil, you grow up and flourish. And we said last week that this is true for all areas of life, not just church. That if you decide to put down roots in your marriage and stop throwing around the D word, divorce, you will grow and flourish. If you put down roots in some type of financial goal or plan, you will grow and flourish. If you put down roots in a career or a field, you will grow and flourish. The only way to really mess that up is to bounce around and not put down roots. And the same is true for your life spiritually and your life in general, your family, physically. When you put down roots in in the house of God, in, in his church. And so last week was all about family. We're family. We're not a building, we're not bricks, we're not a service. We are a family. Everybody look around right now. These are your brothers and sisters. Come on, look around. These are your brothers and sisters. Every family's got some crazies. Come on, every family's got some conflict, okay? Every family's got some people you avoid, you know, do you screen their calls? But like, but we are family, okay? We're brothers and sisters. And so if all you are experiencing with church is three worship songs, a sermon, and going home, you are not experiencing the church. You're experiencing a service. And God's plans were were so much greater than that. And so last week was all about family, being a part of the family, letting us love you. You gotta know, listen, we're better because you're here. We're better because you're here because you're a part of our family. And this week, we're going to, to take the next step beyond family, and we're gonna talk about, about teamwork. We're gonna talk about teamwork because we're not just a family, we're a team. We don't just get to sit around the living room and eat Doritos and watch movies together. There actually is an objective. There is something that Christ has called us to accomplish, and we get to work together to be a, to be a team to do that. Specifically, what is your role in, in, in the... In the uh, in the team. So, so before we jump in today, let me just tell you two things quickly. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you need to know this. If you were here, you, you can just be refreshed. But next Sunday is a very big Sunday. Maybe the most important Sunday of the year in 2016 for us because next Sunday, we are going to give you the chance to join or rejoin this church as a member. When we step up here, when I step up here next week to speak, there will be zero members. We are wiping the membership database completely clean of this church. There's gonna be zero members. And after the sermon, if you decide based on what you've been hearing over these last few weeks and you feel like that God has, has called you, led you, put it on your heart to put down roots here in this church, then we're gonna give you a chance to do that to not just be a part of a service, but to be a part of a family, to be a part of a team. And so we're gonna give you a chance to do that. And if you want to join or rejoin the church, all you're gonna have to do after the service, there's gonna be people and volunteers with computers and iPads all over the church. And you and your family will go to one of them and you will uh, just fill out really the form uh, that says you wanna be a member. It's not just a form, it's a symbolic commitment, but you're gonna fill out that form and you're going to be a member uh, of this church. And so that's gonna happen next week. If computers freak you out, we'll have paper that you can fill out as well. You can do that. Um, and if you have to miss next week for whatever reason, like you didn't, you're not just like out of luck forever, obviously we're gonna give you some other opportunities to do that. So next week you're gonna get a chance to say, you know what, yeah, I'm putting down, I'm putting down roots here. This is my family. The second thing you need to know about next week is we're making a huge announcement 
And uh, we've already said, no, the announcement's not that I'm leaving. You're stuck with me. Uh, we're making a huge announcement. And we want everybody to be here who calls this church home because we want to celebrate together. It's going to be a great day. And uh, so I'm asking you, whatever you have to do to prioritize next Sunday to be here together as a family so we can celebrate together. We really believe what 2 Kings 19 says. That when you decide to put down roots, your life will grow and it will flourish. It will flourish. All right. So let's, stay, let, let's talk about team today. Let's talk about teamwork. You've probably heard it said that teamwork makes the what? Teamwork makes the, the dream work. And that's true. In, uh, in 1990, there was a rookie in the NBA. His name was Stacy King. And he was playing for the Chicago Bulls. And at that time, Michael Jordan, possibly the greatest player of all time, was playing for the Chicago Bulls. So it was pretty cool for Stacey King to be able to, to be drafted by that team. So one night in the 1990 season, Michael Jordan uh, had one of the best games of his career, and he scored 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that night in that game, Stacey King, he actually didn't play that much. Um, he didn't contribute that much, played a few minutes, scored one point that night. And after the game in, in the locker room, one of the newspaper reporters came up to Stacey King and said, hey, listen, this was a historical night tonight. You know, Jordan really had one of the best games of his career. Like, what will you remember about tonight's game? And Stacey King said to the newspaper reporter, he said, I will always remember this night as the night that me and Michael Jordan combined to score 70 points. <laughs> what a great line, right? That's teamwork right there. It's not about individual, it's about, it's about team. And, and did you know that the Bible says kind of the same thing about the church? That, that we're a family and we're a team and we are supposed to, to work together. And, and, and it tells us that the church was not set up as a place to serve us. That the church was not set up as a place for us to, to take from and to, and to kind of suck dry all of the resources. It is there for us as a family, and all of us receive from our family, but that we're also a team that is intended to reach out, to serve, and to help others. And it's not just a few people's job. It's all of our job on the team. Ephesians 4, 11, 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, five kind of spiritual leadership things there that, that Paul gives us in Ephesians we don't have time to jump into but that is like the leadership of the church I would be considered one of those obviously as a pastor and a teacher John Corey Kim like these are the the leaders the pastors for our church and then it says their responsibility talking about me and our team our pastors is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ so so Paul says the job of the leadership is not to do the work. The, the job of the leadership is to equip and empower the family, the body, the people to do the work of ministry so that God's church, God's family can be built up. Now, depending on what kind of church you grew up in, you may have believed that it was the pastor's job to do all the work. I've actually worked at one of those churches before. We cut the grass, we changed the church sign, like whatever it was that needed to be done, the pastor gets paid, so it's his job 
to do it. And the point of the message today is not to somehow change your mind about that. I just want to show you in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that Paul says that if you decide to take on that mindset or you decide to not be a part of the team, you're missing out on the opportunity to build the church. That if you expect that just the, the pastors to do the work, you're not wanting a church the way that Paul described it. And I tell our pastors all the time, listen, you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. But your job as a pastor is not to do all the doing. Your job as a pastor is to empower and equip the people. Every time a leader or a pastor does a job that God has equipped you to do, we are robbing you of the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given you to build the church. It's unfair to you. But unfortunately, it's always been a struggle for churches nationwide, not just this church. It's always been a struggle nationwide to find people with the heart, the desire to want to work together to do whatever it takes to build the church. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 8, 36 through 38. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. So Jesus looks over this large crowd and he's heartbroken. And he says that the crowd, the potential, the opportunity has never been the problem. The problem is finding people who care enough and have enough heart to do whatever it takes to reach those people. Listen, you probably know this, but you need to know, and I just want to make sure you know, that in the south end of Louisville, we do not have a a shortage of opportunity to reach people who need Jesus Christ. In your family, you do not have a shortage of people, an opportunity to reach people for Jesus Christ. The problem is not the opportunity. The problem is not the potential. The problem is is God identifying and finding a church, a body, a group of people who are willing to say, God, we'll do whatever it takes. We'll do whatever it takes to to, to shepherd these people and to to be a part of this harvest that you're you're wanting to send. See, God is passionate about this church. It's his church. He's building his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And what I know for certain is that we're not dreaming big enough. What I know for certain is that God's dreams, for our, our, God's dreams for this church are bigger than our dreams. And I am a dreamer. I love to dream. I love vision. I love big picture stuff. And even when I have these crazy big dreams that I'm afraid to verbalize because they're so ludicrous, even in those moments, I'm dreaming smaller dreams than God is dreaming for this church, for our family. Just this week, I was doing some writing in my journal and got inspired to dream again. Some of them were new dreams. Some of them were old dreams that were just kind of being rekindled in my heart for this church. And I'm not going to give you all of them. This is not all encompassing, but I, but I thought I would just give you some of the dreams that God has put in my heart for us, for, for this church. One of the dreams God's put in my heart is for us as a church to give away $10 million. Our first kind of baby step goal is to give away a million. That's not really a baby step, but it's a step. And, uh, you know, we kind of had that dream put in our hearts uh, nine years ago when we stood up here and asked for our first imagined offering of $20,000. And it was on my heart and to, to be able to give away a million, and that seemed impossible. 
And by the end of this year, we, in nine years, we will have given away over $400,000 as a church, like completely given it away, which is incredible. Yeah. And so one of the dreams that God has put in our heart is to give away $10 million as a church. I'll say that number and I think like, that's dumb. Like, and God's dreaming bigger. God's dreaming bigger. One of the dreams that, that I have in my heart for this church is that we would have free turnaround housing for moms trying to get out of stripping or prostitution and, 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 and to be able to say like, hey, listen, for the next 90 days, here is a house, here's groceries, no utilities you owe, no rent you owe. We're going to help you find a job. Like we, we just want to help you. And, and so many people want to make a change, but they can't financially afford to make that change. And it's so, I'm so passionate about this, even though it feels so far off, honestly, that I, I've told God, like I've committed to God, God, I, I will take the first step. I have, a, I have a rental home that I have. And I've told God, like, as soon as that house is paid off, however we plan on or you plan on doing that, as soon as that house is paid off, God, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give that to the church. I'm going to set the tone. I'm going to give that to the church, and we're going to use that as possibly our first, unless somebody beats me to the punch, our first turnaround housing opportunity. And I believe what's going to happen, like in the book of Acts, is, is that generosity is going to overflow like dominoes, and then, and then other people will start figuring out a way to, to give homes away. What a big dream. And God's dreaming bigger, even still. There's this dream in my heart for our church to build an outdoor community park, either on this property back in the back or some other property that God may lead us to. But the idea to just be able to say, like, hey, listen, it's open to you, the community. Will there be some crime? Yeah. Will there be some vandalism? Yeah. But, like, it's just, it's just open to you, the community. Basketball, playing fields, playgrounds, running track, whatever it is. Like, we just want you to know, like, we're a part of you. You're a part of us. This is, this is a place for you to come. I have a dream for, for a dream center, for, for homeless and needy people in our community, to offer beds and food and clothes and free legal counsel. Just been really moved over the last few months doing some reading about people who really, the people who really need legal help can't really get the legal help that they need. And, and just, you know, if you feel like God's put it on your heart to go to law school, like go, because we need you. So like go. <laughs> Make a lot of money, put it in the bank, and then come over here, and then let's figure out how to, how to help people. Medical help. You know, even as I drive around the city or this community, and I'm not going to, like, say it because, like, I, I can't say it's God, but, like, even as I drive around this community, I will pass certain buildings, and I'll think, like, God, that would be a good dream center right there. That would be a good one. This dream in my heart for recovery groups every night of the week, to be able to just have a a sign outside that says, no matter what night it is, 6.30, there's a recovery group happening in our church, and thousands of people pass that sign every day, every day. And they know, like, if I can just get there, somebody's there to help me and love me and talk with me. It's also a dream of mine in this church to help plant 100 new churches we were at about 11 or 12 right now that we've helped plant brand new churches. You got a chance to hear from David Kennedy two weeks ago from Autumn Lake Church. That's the biggest financial investment we've made, over, over uh, $35,000 now to help, help Autumn Lake Church. But we're, it's, it's all over um, 
the, the country. We're helping plant churches. And so over the next 20, 30, 40 years, that God could somehow help us and allow us to help plant 100 brand new churches. And these are just some of the dreams that God has put in my heart for, for our church. And we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep believing and working towards dreams that seem honestly very far off. And even as big and as grand, as impossible as some of those dreams feel, they're still not even big enough for the dreams that God is dreaming for this church. They're still too small. And as I look around the room today, like I think about my own qualifications, I think about your qualifications, and I know that I'm not smart enough, I'm not wealthy enough, I'm not generous enough, I'm not talented enough, neither are you. And on our own, we cannot accomplish what it is that God is, is calling us to do as a church. You can't do it on our own. You can't give away $10 million on your own. If you can, let's have lunch this week. Um, but... Like, you can't do that. You can't plant a hundred new churches. You can't do that. But together, as a team, and somebody may score 69 and you may score one, but we score 70 together because we're, we're a team. God using you or accomplishing God's great plans has never been about ability. It's always been about availability. It's never been about ability. It's always been about availability. God showed up to Noah and said, no, I want you to build a boat, and it's going to flood, and, um, and, 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 and what you did, here's the problem. Noah didn't know how to build a boat. He'd never built a boat. Here's why. It had never rained. So God shows up and says, I have this great plan. Noah doesn't know what he's doing, but very few people ever do. But Noah said, like, I'm available. God showed up to Moses and said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, I can't do that. I stutter. I can't speak. But God wasn't looking for somebody with ability. He was looking for somebody with availability. And Moses was available. He had done nothing for 40 years. Walked around a desert. And God says, if you're available, I can use you. I can use you. And if you and I are ever crazy enough to tell God, God, I'm available, I don't know that I'm able but I'm available, then, then he'll do something that blows your, that blows your mind. Blows your mind. You know, saying you're available is like dangerous. Like all of us have kind of wised up. Like you're, so your friend is like, hey, what are you doing on uh, March 13th? You're like, uh, why? <laughs> you know, you know, especially if you own a truck. And, um, <laughs> But like, it's like, if you got tickets to the game, I'm available. But if we're moving your couch, I'm busy and I'll find something to do. And so like, it's scary. It's dangerous to say I'm available. But man, man, to be able to say to God, like, God, I don't know how. I'm not even sure I know the steps of what to do, but I'm available. I'm available. What do you want me to do? I got a few minutes left today and I want to kind of spend the last few moments talking about jars. I'm going to spend a few moments talking about jars, as crazy as that may sound. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that now we, are now, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. Listen, I don't care how much you bench press, you're fragile. You're fragile. I'm fragile. You're fragile. We're all kind of broken and cracked, glued together the best we can. 
We're like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Listen, you have a great treasure inside of you. God has put gifts, abilities, treasures inside of you. And yeah, the outside's messed up and broken, and yeah, it is, and we all are. But inside, there's something great. This makes it clear, he says, that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And so God has put this gift, these gifts, these these treasures inside of you. And listen, we are who we are as a church because you're here. And so God's plans for this church are distinctly unique because of you. God didn't call us to be Valley View. God didn't call us to be on Fire Christian Center. God didn't call us to be Southeast. He called us to be River City Worship Center because he knew he was sending you. And if you're here and you're not there, then that means your gifts, talents, and abilities that are inside of you that are unique like DNA only to you are supposed to be used to build his church, to build his church. So we can't be like somebody else because you're here and not there. And I'm here and not there. And so God says, I'm gonna put all the ingredients together and I'm going to bake something beautiful, but I've got to, I gotta have your part. I gotta have what you've got inside of you. It's a great treasure. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It's just crazy enough to, to kind of be nuts. And, and I love the stories, the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. And there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about a, uh, a widow who knew Elisha, the prophet, and her husband had died, and now she didn't have any money, and creditors were coming to take her sons from her, and they were going to take her sons and sell them as slaves. And so the widow comes to Elisha, and she says, I don't know what to do. They're going to be taking my sons. And in verse 2 of 2 Kings 4, he says, Elisha says to the lady, the, the woman, says, how can I help you? you know. And then he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? What a great question. It's almost like God speaking through Elisha is like, I'm going to do a miracle with what you have. It's like when Jesus was feeding 5,000 and the disciples came and said, these people are hungry. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus says, what do you have? And the guy's like, oh, I mean, I got a couple of fish. I got a couple of pieces of bread. And he's like, well, bring me what you have. And so Elisha says to this woman, he says, what do you have in your house? And I think the same question, that would be a great question that we could ask right now about this house of God. You look around and you say, what do we have in the house? What do we have in the house? She says, well, I don't have much. Maybe you would say that about yourself. Except a small jar, everybody say jar, of olive oil. And Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Everybody say empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. I'm going to do that in just a little bit. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to the side. And she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another jar. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. 
She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. Now, there's a lot of different points um, that you can use to preach this story, and they're all valid. I just want to make one today. I want to make one point because I think it, it very much applies to where we are as a church, okay? The Bible says that when the jars ran out, that the oil stopped. That's what it said, verse 6. He, she said to her son, bring me another jar. He said, we don't have any more. Then the oil stopped. And I think there's a powerful principle here for us. I believe that sometimes God's miracles are limited by the limitations that we put on him. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes God is limited by the limitations we put on him. In other words, he was only going to provide enough oil to fill as many empty jars as she was able to provide. So how many ever jars there are, that's how, many, how much oil that there was. And if she would have found more jars, guess what? She could have poured more oil. But that's not what happened because she ran out. God fills empty vessels. God fills jars that are available. Believe it with all of my heart. Listen, you empty out a bank account, obeying the voice of God to be generous, and you see if God doesn't fill an empty vessel. You empty out a calendar and a schedule because you're following the voice of God to be available to serve and you see if God does not fill an empty vessel. And the same is true for this church. God says, I will fill as many empty vessels as you'll give me. I will fill this room with as many people as I can as long as you've got people who are willing to be harvest workers. In other words, I believe as a church, we have capped out and we have reached the maximum amount of people that God is going to send us for this season until more people are willing to say, I'm available. I'm available. God says, I've stopped the oil because you stopped giving me jars. And so, and so we have maximized what we can do with who we have who says, I'm available. I'm available. So the question is, how much availability are you willing to give God? Whatever you're willing to give him, he will fill it. How much availability are you willing to give God? You've probably heard the 20-80 principle. It's famous in everything, work, everything. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. 20% of the people carry 80% of the burden. And so if we're, if we're a family, because we are, but we're not just a family, we're a team. The question I'm asking you today is, have you made yourself available? I don't say this ugly. I don't say this mean. I'm not, please know my heart. Like, I, I love you. But are you just a taker? Because see, here's what happens when I preach a message like this. There are a few people in the room who will come up to me afterwards and they will say, I'm in. Whatever you want to do, I'm in. Here's the problem. They're already doing everything right now. They're hardwired to say, I'll do more. I'll do more. Give me more. And you know what I'm going to tell them? No. No. Listen, I gave Kim, our, our Pastor Kim, our kids' pastor, permission a few weeks ago. Kim, if you can't find a teacher for a preschool class, hang a sign on the door that says, no preschool today, no one will work it. Because we're not going to tell the people who do everything to keep doing more. We're just not going to do it anymore. If there's nobody willing to work the nursery, put a sign on the door that says, hold your baby in service. Nobody will help in the nursery. She hasn't taken me up on it yet. But you just need to know I've given her permission. 
because we're not going to keep asking the people who do everything already to add more to their plate. What we're going to do up here is we're going to stand up here and we're going to say those of you who are taking, who are just being served and God has done incredible things in your life, I'm asking you now to turn around and to say the same way that God has ministered, helped reach me, save me, raise me up. Now I'm in, Jason. I'm available. God, I'm available. I'm an empty jar. And I believe if, we'll can, if we can take God more empty jars, he will fill more up. He will fill more up. I believe there is a lost person, a lost family member, a drug addict, a mom or a dad in the south end of Louisville that God is waiting to send. As, as soon as we can say, God, we have 17 empty jars. We found 17 more empty jars. But when we run out of jars, I believe God says the oil stops. The oil stops. And so as I say this today, you would say like, Jason, I love you. I love your heart. I love this church. I just really am not available. Like I want to be available, but I'm just not available. A yes to one thing is always a no to something else. Time is not infinite. And I get that. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that you should do nothing else but church because that's dumb and I grew up in that a little bit and that's not what we want to do. But I, what I am going to say to you is, are you passionate about what God is passionate about? And I'm not saying that God is not passionate about six-year-old soccer, but I am saying he's more passionate about his church. I'm not saying he's not passionate about getting to the game on time on a Sunday. I'm not saying he's not passionate about whatever it is that your family or you have decided is, is more important. And I get that. And this is not a guilt thing because if I guilt you into it, you'll quit in three weeks. Okay? I'm asking you, would you be willing to say no to something in order to make yourself available to what God would want to do in your life and in this church? I, I'm speaking to myself here as a parent, Okay? Your kid is not going to be a professional athlete. I love you. They probably won't even get a college scholarship. I love you. I got a seven-year-old. I swear she's Pele out there. She's not. She's average, a little bit better than average. I get it. I get that there are things out there that, that fill us up and replenish us, and I get that. Listen, are you willing to say, God, I'm available Hey, Jason, River City, I'm available. Because the people who are out there are more important than me doing something else. And I know this feels like cheating, and I'm almost done. I know this feels like cheating because Andrew and I are pastors. But we just decided a core value of our family is going to be that we are a ministry-minded church family. And so we are having to instill into our family, like, Church takes the priority, not because it's my job. Andrew isn't paid by the church. He doesn't have to do that, but it is our job. It's, it, it, or it's my job. It's our priority as a family. And so we are determined to teach our kids, you know what? When there's a servolution, we go serve. You know what? If you can help your teacher, you help your teacher. You show up. This is what we're going to do because we have decided as a family, we are going to build God's church. Then we're going to put down roots. We believe that we're going to grow and flourish. So listen, let's bring in all the empty jars that we can. Let's let him know that we're ready. Let's let him know that we're available to reach our friends, to add more to the family, to reach this community. All right? Now, when you came in today, there was a card on your seat.
Can you take that out real quick? Take that card out for me. And um, this is a card that we are giving you to signify today that you are available. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. If I upset you, come talk to me afterwards. But um, this is just a chance for you to say I'm available. Now listen, at the very top, there is a checker box that says, I currently serve on Sunday mornings. To the 27 of you who already do everything, check that box and then don't fill out anything else. For the rest of us, it says, I'm willing to help my church reach more people by serving during one of the Sunday morning services and or leading a small group. You put your name in a way that we can read it and an email address that you actually check. And if you don't use that, then just put a phone number down right there and that's fine. And then we're not asking you to commit to anything. We're just asking you to tell us where you're comfortable so that, like Ephesians 4, your leaders and your pastors can equip you and empower you to do the work of ministry. So uh, you check all that apply. I'm comfortable talking to strangers. That freaks some of you out. Some of you, it doesn't bother you. I'm good with computers. I'm comfortable talking in front of a group of people. I enjoy having people in my home. Kids don't get on my nerves. I love holding babies. Details and spreadsheets get me excited. Like, Maybe there's not one list that you think is really important for us to know. I'm good with tools, whatever it is, write it on the back. And then as you leave today, you're gonna drop that in the giving boxes on your way out. And we're gonna take this and we're gonna contact you. And we, as your leaders and pastors, are gonna do what Ephesians 4 says. And we're gonna help you, not push you, drop you in the deep end. We're gonna help you take the steps to, to help us as a church to reach more people for Jesus Christ, to share the transforming hope of Jesus Christ, okay? So fill out that card and then drop it in those boxes as you leave today. And then we're gonna just, that's just step one. We're gonna start there and figure it out, not forcing you to do anything you do not wanna do, okay? If you hate kids, we don't want you working with the kids, all right? It's like, we're not gonna make you do that, all right? So we'll, we'll figure that out as we go, all right? So let me give everybody about 30 seconds. Go ahead and fill this out. 60 seconds, go ahead and fill this out for me. Fill that card. If you have a, don't have a pen, I actually don't have one for you. I'm sorry about that. If we had a volunteer that could have done that, we'd have done it. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, fill that out. And then as you leave today, drop. And hopefully we'll run out of room and have to clear them out and you can put some more in there. I'm going to pray for us. Listen, if you're a guest today, if you're visiting I said this last week, but I want you to know, like, I'm glad you're here because you're getting to hear my heart. This is kind of a family meeting. This is kind of, this series has really been kind of a family living room meeting for us. And you're welcome here. Please keep coming back. In two weeks, we'll jump into a new series. But even if you've just been here a week or two or three and you would say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to be a part of the team. Fill out that card. Fill out that card. And be a part of what we're doing, all right? I love you guys. I love you so much. Love being your pastor. Love being a part of your family, being your brother or sister. And God has incredible plans for this church. God has incredible plans for this church. And I want you to be a part of it. We can do it together. We're better together, okay? We're better together. Let's pray.